Hi, and welcome to EC Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before I begin, I would just like to acknowledge with gratitude that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples, which is, includes here the Kwikwitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So on today's episode, I'm actually going to be speaking to a very special person, um, Anna Mihailovich. Did I say that right? Yeah, it's Anna Mihailovich. Yeah. Anna Mihailovich. Sorry. It's um, all good. <laughs> so Anna and I actually went to high school together like 20 million years ago, it feels like <gasps> now, when we were wee little 18-year-olds, graduated in 2009, thinking we were so grown up, and now we're actually grown ups, and we're like, oh my yeah, gosh. we were grown up 11 years ago. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so you are the new mother to your son is 17 months old. He's 17 months next week. Yeah. Next week. Holy. Okay. It seems like yeah. yesterday you announced you were pregnant. Part of me is still pregnant. Like I, <laughs> I still haven't really gone through that part of my life yet. So. And how, how weird does it feel like being able to say that, like you're a mom. It's so weird. It just feels like I'm so wholly unqualified for this. And like, just like my mom talking to my mom and then also being a mom, it's just like, there's no way we're on this in the same group. Like, how is this? Like, it's crazy. Um, I know, like, I remember my husband and I were talking about this the other day and we were like, I remember seeing people like our age when we were, you know, maybe 10, 11, even in high school and thinking like, wow, they're so grown up. And then yeah. you get to that age and you're like, I'm not a grown up. Like how am I yeah. I had an experience like that where I was like in a store and it's like, oh, go tell that lady over there. I'm looking around for the lady real life. Like, <laughs> oh, you mean me? You oh, mean okay. Me. okay. <laughs> right. Like I'm the adult. Oh, you, yeah. God. You're like, I get yeah. it now. I am the, I am grown up now. <laughs> no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> but we're just, you know, faking it till we make it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely like, there's something like almost like, like, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just disarming about that. Like, okay, I'm not so self-conscious anymore when I can't park right off the gate or when I'm fumbling with my coins or whatever. Like, we're all just kind of, you know, just fumbling along. So exactly. we're all adults are not so authoritative stuff. anymore to me. There you go. <laughs> um, so basically, you're coming on today's episode to be our guest speaker because you're going to speak to us about the importance of childcare, especially from the perspective of a new parent. Yes. Uh, and what a time to be a new parent. Like your son was born pre-COVID. Yes. My, like a lot of your mat leave, from my understanding, really yeah. took place during the height of COVID. Yeah. So he was about five months old when everything went into shutdown, four or five months. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was, it was uh, kind of, you know, annoying because we had just gone to a point in his life where I felt comfortable leaving the house with him. Like, you know, he'd had his shots. Um, I felt comfortable. I could like put a diaper bag together and actually get out of the house before we had another blowout that I'd have to like come back home and deal with. Right. And so we were just comfortably getting out and then everything went into lockdown. And so, and then just kind of for the rest of that time, it's been like our safe six, which includes, you know, my parents and brother and our household, which is my husband and my son. And that's it. And that's just been who we've been hanging out this entire time, like since February. Wow. Uh, and so all the programs he was supposed to be attending, all the mat leave experiences that I was supposed to have, have just like not happened uh, because of COVID. So, <laughs> yeah. 
And that's got to be really hard. And I think especially because culturally um, you, you are European. Um, yes. And I think, you know, something that a lot of people don't tend to understand is North American culture, I think, is really this the only culture in the world in which there's really this idea for new parents, especially new mothers, that like if you cannot do it all by yourself, then you're somehow failing. Whereas, you know, culturally, I'd say about 90 percent of the world, you know, it's it's not they really take into account this idea that it takes a village to raise a child. So, you know, as a new parent, how difficult that must be to not have those support systems, to not have those programs, um, you know, so that your son can get what he needs so that the, you know, there's the socialization happens and for yourself as well, right. To just get out there and meet new people and meet, you know, new mothers who may be having, you know, going through the same experiences that you are. Yes, absolutely. So I'll just clarify, I'm Eastern European because there are, there is like the, you know, the British European that is tends to be like the North American kind of approach to things. Um, I'm Eastern European and we're very much similar to um, Latin Americans, Middle Easterners, um, even Asian cultures where it's, it's very much multi-generational. We're all kind of all hands on deck. You're, you're, your chi- your parent's child until they die, basically you're a child. And um, with the understanding that every new life transition, you're, you're, um, yes, you're an adult, but you're a child in this capacity. Like you're the first time being a mom. You're, you're the first time, you know, um, getting married or, or having a spouse or this kind of relationship. And you turn to your parents for all these big milestones to help, um, to help have them help you and to guide you through these transitions. And so absolutely, you know, my mom was there for me from the beginning, like even just the pregnancy, but especially after our son was born, um, you know, they did his first bath because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. Uh-huh. I know a lot of people here will hire midwives and, and, and post-birth doulas to do that for them. There was almost like this, like my mom was like, okay, so you just get another woman to come and help you. Like, who am I basically? And I was like, yeah. no, no, like, <laughs> don't worry. You know, there's, there's almost like an element of like offense that I would have someone else do this. Like she was like my birthing doula, like she's never done it before, but she was going to do it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's funny so- that you mentioned that because I think that again, it's like every immigrant mother, Cause like yeah, you know, in yeah. the conversation that I've had with my mom, you know, about, you know, whenever my husband and I will have, you know, our children, um, <laughs> you know, the, you know, the, the subject of, you know, OBGYN versus midwife and doula has come up and, yeah. you know, again, there's like an offense that how dare another woman take care of you. That's not me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, obviously, and in, and in, in my, I mean, in my family specifically, we're like all like, there's a bunch of doctors and stuff. So it's, it, we were obviously open to science and, and medicine and, and doctors and all that stuff. But there is an element of like some things like your parents just do for you. Like they come and they care for you and they care for your child. Like, when my son was born, actually, before he was born, my mom said to me, you know, your only job will be to take care of him. My job will be to take care of you. Everyone has their mama. And I that really that. stuck with me, which is like such a sweet thing to say. But I say that all the time. And then I realize, you know, not everybody has that. And then it, it's almost like that's not useful advice, because if you don't have that kind of relationship with your mom or just, you know, with your family, somebody it, to it, take it, care of you when you're like, how does that help you? Right. Yeah, so totally. yeah, like I say that advice, knowing that, you know, I may be in a minority or that, you know, there's an, there's a cultural element there. So yes, definitely. Um, I, I was lucky enough that 
because of the way the families are set up where basically my husband is outside of the house working like in a trade. And even then he's working very solo. Um, Everybody else is working from home or not working like me, for example, my brother who's in in a university. So we've all been very contained. And as a result, we've been able to kind of merge the two households and, and be our safe six. But um, what I did miss out on was, for example, introducing my son to my extended family in Europe because we couldn't travel. And so, you know, my mom didn't get the benefit of having her older relatives guiding her through this new phase of being a grandma. And how do you do that? And how do you provide that support? Like, again, it's that whole like generational, just looking ahead. Yeah. And having them guide you through every single phase of your life. There's no like you're 18, I'll figure it out, which is I feel like it's kind of the way the culture works here, like the predominant Canadian white culture of just like. We've yeah. done all we could for you up until you're 18. And now you kind of have to just figure it out on your own. Totally. Um, so, yeah. Well, I love that. And I really like that multi-generational layer. And I think that, you know, it really speaks to, I think, a privilege that you have, um, you know, especially right now during times of COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I couldn't do this alone. I don't know how people do this alone. I mean, I probably could because moms are strong as hell and it's just like something you just have to do. But um, I definitely probably would not parent in the way that I would, that I want to parent and the way that I am parenting. If I had to kind of do more basic survival stuff um, more, you know, for, cause my mom would do a lot of the cooking or whatever. And Mm -hmm. which allowed me to focus on parenting in a certain way. Right. That like people who don't have that support just can't. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and I'm a product of that kind of parenting, right? Like my mom was a single parent, like she was married, yeah. but she was a single yeah. parent and, yeah. you know, she really says like, that's, you know, she was a freaking superwoman. Um, I don't know how she did. Who knows? I don't know how single parents do this. Yeah. Oh you know, and, <laughs> and I mean like, but as a child who was a product of that, there's also an admiration and a, and a massive amount of gratitude. Um, yes. you know that they worked harder. And a lot of sacrifice. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to come to uh, just kind of talk about a little bit about your background, first of mm-hmm. all. So you want to know what is uh, your um, what what's your sector right now? So what is it that you're working in? What is your career? What did you study? So, for? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a lawyer, yeah. um, specifically a family law lawyer, which means I uh, do the odd um adoption process, but it's a lot of cohab agreements, which is colloquially known as prenups, um, and a lot of divorce. Like that's just what I do divorce law. Um, but before that I, um, did my undergraduate degree, uh, in psychology and specifically developmental psychology, which is childhood development, just kind of looking at babies and children and how they experience the world, how their brain changes, and then that, how that affects how they experience the world. Um, and I did that for like my entire degree almost until I kind of realized that, you know, if I want to keep doing this kind of work, I'd have to become a researcher right. and I research, you know, the, the like actual studies are so much fun, but yeah. 90% of it is like data analysis, gathering participants, putting a study together, trying to get it approved, like all this paperwork and administrative and just like statistics and math and stuff that I wasn't really good at, to be honest. Right. And I was like, oh, I can't really do this. And so then towards the end of my psych degree, I actually started looking into um, relational and social psychology. So more relationships and stuff like that. And that's kind of where I started like thinking like, maybe I'll become a therapist. Like maybe I'll do couples counseling. Maybe I'll do whatever. And um, to make a long story short, I ended up in law and it wasn't until I came across family law that I found that perfect crossroads, that perfect marriage, so to speak, between psychology and law, where I can kind of bring in the like, 
the social and relational and compassion and therapy component of like listening to a person and getting their personal nitty gritty and absorbing that and trying to help them, but also like keeping it tight, keeping it like legal, like there's a, you know, right answer. Let's get you to a, you know, to a, a, an end point as opposed to just therapy that can go on and on for years. Right. right. I, I, I have to like finish things. I don't like when things just kind of drag out. And so therapy for me was not the best kind of like a job. Um, right. but law, for example, as I get to have a bit of that while still doing law and it's, it's like, if I couldn't do family law, I probably wouldn't do law. Like just, right. that's just <laughs> the bottom line. But I remember even like when we were in high school, I think that was like, it was very well known that that's what you wanted to do. Um, you know, was you wanted to be a lawyer, I guess it was just a matter of finding out again, what, cause you know, you can say lawyer, but there's so many different branches it can, you know, lead out to. Right. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, there's lots of, yeah. It's interesting how, like, I guess, cause you need a bachelor's before you were able to go into law school, right? Yes. Yes. You need an undergrad degree. Uh, actually I think now you only need like three years, but I just finished the degree. Cause I was like, again, don't like to not finish things. So right. I'm like, I'm just going to finish it. <laughs> what if I don't get in? Like, what am I going to do? I have to go back and do a master's, right? I might as well have it done. So yeah, totally. Well, that's awesome. And I would assume that um, your background in psychological development, especially when we're talking about childhood, has really influenced, I would say, your parenting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Like, I wouldn't be the parent I am if I didn't have my psych background. Mm -hmm. And I think what frustrates me is that people will go into parenting and say, well, there's no manual. Like, this is the one job where nobody really, and it's like, no, that's not really true. I mean, sure, there's no manual. Yeah. But there's a whole area of study. There's a whole, like, area of psychology that's literally just this. There's literature literature written by people in this area of um, of psychology, but also in education, in mm-hmm. neuroscience, in, you know, there's all these disciplines that actually focus on childhood and how to... Yeah. And then how to parent based on how childhood works, right? And right. so it's not true that you're just kind of going in blind. Like, I mean, you can, but yeah. you shouldn't. And there are things you can do and read and research if you really want to do this, you know, somewhat right, I guess. You know, it's not going to be a popular opinion what I just said, but it's true. I mean, there are different ways to care for children and they're not all equal. And yes, love is fundamentally like the kind of the bottom line, but yeah. it's, it's through love that you're doing all this extra work, right? And parenting right. in a certain way. Um, so that's kind of where I stand is like, yeah, I wouldn't be the parent I am if I didn't have this background. And I'm glad that I have this background and I wish more people had this background or at least dove into it before like the child was born. (laughs) Totally. Um, and I want to say too, I think, you know, has having that background, um, you know, again, kind of going back to being a parent during COVID, your son reached toddlerhood in quarantine, which yeah props to you because I work with infants and toddlers and it's a very rewarding age group and it's a, and it's a wonderful age group. And I think the reason you're drawn to it. And for me personally, it has to do with the fact that it's amazing how on a day-to-day basis, you can just see all those connections, you know, you know, through like the most, you know, the the tasks for lack of better words that any other person is going to deem as like, you know, nothing important, whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, you see those, those neurons connecting for lack of better words. Um, and you know, again, parenting during COVID having that toddler, that toddler brain growing, I am assuming that for you, it was critical to get them into childcare. Yeah. So I actually remember saying to my husband, you know, I got to a certain point where I just felt like he had outgrown me. 
Right. Like I had reached my capacity and my limits with what I could do with him and for him in the confines of our home. That's not set up to be a daycare right. and not just like buying more things. You know, you can have all the Montessori people love throwing that word around. Everything's Montessori now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. People, you know, you can have all the Montessori furniture in the world, but at the end of the day, your child needs peer interaction, which if you don't have siblings for your child, you know, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And, and I'm not a peer. I'm his parent. And that comes with a different kind of hierarchy and a different relationship. And he's not going to get out of me what he would get out of a peer or out of someone younger or someone a little bit older. Right. And so I got to a point with him where I was like, I almost said like out loud, I've done everything I could for you. Right. Um, in, in a kind of like eight hours a day, like, you know what I mean? Structured kind of environment setting where like, I could, I'm obviously going to do more for him. I haven't like stopped parenting. It's not like, you know, that's it for me. Like you're 18 now you're out. Right. Like, yeah, totally. um, I mean, like on a day-to-day basis of like the activities that I can prepare for him, the the things that we can engage in with the limits of like, you can't go to strong start. You can't go to baby and me classes. You can't go to like, you know, um, a play date. you can go to the park, but you can't really play with each other. Like there's so many rules and within the confines, he just got to an age and at a stage in his development where he just needed more. He needed the next level. Now it's like when you're playing any video game and you're just like, you beat it, you know, it's time now to level up. And I just couldn't do that for him anymore. And that's when I was like, you know, of course it's also like, I need to like get back to work. And I know we're going to talk about that, but it was an element too, of just like, I felt good about putting him in daycare because I also felt like, okay, it wasn't too early. Like I reached my capacity with him. I reached my limit. Yeah, for sure. And not only that, but it's, you know, and that's, if you, gosh, I can't even talk right now. This coffee did not do its job. (laughs) It kind of also goes back to the idea as well. Um, you know, in our, I think it was episode four, when I spoke to Sharon Gregson, who's the advocate um, for the $10 day plan here. Yes. Yeah. When she spoke about how, you know, it's not just about, Yes, childcare has always primarily really been about women needing a safe place for their children to be while, you know, they're working or while they're in school, but childcare should also be a place if we're coming back to the lens of education where a woman um, or a parent, like whomever, a primary caregiver should be able without shame to take their child, regardless of employment or not, um, so that they can, like you said, get what they need. Um, developmentally, um, you know, from this environment, you know, we don't shame parents for taking their children to school, whether or not they're employed, because we see school as something that is beneficial to the child, we slowly need to start making that, you know, slowly start using that same lens towards childcare. I love that you said shame, and that you said, um, just like, uh, compared it to school, because that's exactly what it is. Because until people start seeing, early childhood education is also education. Um, There's going to be that whole like, one, well, why can't you just take care of your own child? And two, why can't just anybody take care of your child? Like when we were struggling, like, for example, like when we were struggling to get him into the daycare we wanted, people were saying things like, well, why don't you just take a nanny or a babysitter or just, and it's just like this element of like, just have anybody take care of him. Like if that's what's so important and it's, that's not what's so important. Like, yes, physically, I need him to be in someone's care so that I don't have to be that person being with him physically, legally speaking, you know what I'm saying? But, um, it's, it's not that it's, it's like, you know, it's a difference between, you know, um, for example, like, would you just, quit your job and homeschool your grade five kid? No, you wouldn't, unless you also were a teacher who taught grade five. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Like, that's not my job. I didn't go to school for this. And I think when you realize that, you know, it's the same people are talking about, there's no manual. Those same people don't realize that this is actually a degree, that you 
need to have qualifications for taking care of young children too. It's not just teachers, kindergarten and up. It's before that as well. Yeah. It's not just babysitting. It's not just nannying, right? And when you realize that there's a whole degree for that and that people need to be qualified and there's you know benefits to your child being exposed to those people and being taught by those people, that's when you start to realize like, oh, like it's not just whatever and yeah. it matters where I leave my kid. And, um, people should care about this. Like why, yeah. why, you know, you kind of, people don't talk about this until it starts directly affecting them. Like I, I remember sitting and being like, oh my God, I can't go back to work unless he's in daycare, which is such a duh statement. Yeah. But until I was a parent and until I found myself physically saying like, yo, I can't go back to work. Like I literally have to call my boss and be like, Hey, I have to quit my job Yeah, because there's no one to care for him like that until it kind of hit me how serious it is that if you don't have care, you're screwed. Um, I like, it, it just left me speechless. Like we don't yeah. talk about it because people don't, um, you know, at, at our age still aren't really on mass having kids yet. And so, and, but we're the ones that are doing all the like yeah. lobbying. If we're going to lobby, do you know what I'm saying? Because like, it's us, it's our generation now that has to step up and take that torch and, and go to the finish line. Right. And, and there's not enough of us yet. Right. There's the, the, the conversations aren't about that yet. Yeah. Um, which I hope that changes as more people start more people, more women in our generation are like, yo, I put like 10 years into this degree and this career. And what am I supposed to do? And I just walk away from it because I literally have no one to care for my child that I feel comfortable with leaving yeah. my child. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, like it's overwhelming when you actually are in this predicament. But it's interesting how it also like for me personally, and you know, as somebody who's got the schooling, who's, this is my job. Like this is mm-hmm. what, this is mm-hmm. my profession. I, like I went to school to learn why it is critical for children to play and what benefits there are, but. And what kind of play it's not exactly. just like here's some, you know, uh, light up toys, like yeah. sit there and watch it. Here's an iPad. My kid's learning language. What's the problem? Like, it's not that it's not play. Not all play is equal. Not all activities are equal. Sorry to jump in, but I'm just, I'm just so passionate about this because it matters. Like oh, I people love don't it. understand. Good. <laughs> and especially, like, I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult because people who don't have the, the background and don't have the understanding are then told, well, play is learning and whatever. And they just, and then that kind of almost does a disservice yeah. to the importance of what childcare actually is or what early child education is because yes, it is play. Play is important, but they don't understand that it's a certain type of play or yeah. that what the play is actually doing or yeah. how they should be playing or all that kind of like nuances that you went to school to learn with. Like how, I don't even remember, you know, some of those things that you like as an ECE went to learn, whereas I just kind of did it in a psychology, you know, kind of um, environment. And, you know, we talked about different theories or whatever, but it wasn't my degree at the end of the day. Like right. I did more of the cognition, more of the development stuff, as opposed to like how to actually you now put that in practice and create a human being that's socialized and not, you know, um, off the rails. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's funny, like for me, whenever this conversation comes up, especially, you know, men are never going to get shamed for going mm. to work. And that mm-hmm. is a fact of life until we can, you know, until we've change this patriarchal unless you're my friend because I've shamed a few of my guy friends I like it <laughs> like, what do you mean you have a newborn and you haven't taken time off are you nuts like, yeah Pater- well, there's billable hours. what do you well, think I don't have billable hours well paternity leave is you know it, Take it's it. something that is slowly becoming normal oh, but even yeah then, paternity leave I think is equivalent to maternity a month in the United States yeah, yeah. you know because yeah. again we're putting the blunt of the work on the on women um, and to and- be fair, a lot of, 
a lot of the early stuff is just mom, you know, especially if you're going to breastfeed, especially if like, you just, you just have to kind of be there. And, and that's fine. Like, I mean, we can have equality and we can have fairness. We can have all these things without being exactly the same. Right. Yes. Like, I mean, women should get certain benefits that men don't because we have to do certain work that men don't I mean yeah. pregnancy alone. Right. Like, why do you need time off when I'm the one that's pregnant? Right. Like yeah. things like that. Right. But at the end of the day, like the parental leave as a whole over the course of a year, I feel like should be at least half, half. Yeah. Like, I mean, if that's what you want or if that's what works for your family, I mean, yeah. let's also talk about the fact that it should be more flexible. Like I shouldn't have to go either I'm nine to five or I'm not at all. Like, why yeah. can't I do some days? You know what I mean? Like, you know, that, that's a whole other can of worms. Right. But like there, there's a lack of flexibility. There's just a lack of like thinking outside the box because it's totally. always been done a certain way and that's just expected. And it's, it's too bad because it's really hurting women. It 100% is, you know, and it's funny that you talk about that because even in the world of early learning, like it's really friggin' hard. Um, if you're a new parent, so, you know, I, this is something that, you know, my husband and I have spoken about and we kind of have a game plan already for whenever parenthood is going to happen to us. However, it's going to happen, you know, be it natural parenting or, you know, we we get pregnant naturally or we end up adopting like whatever it is, but yeah. Um, it's really like in the world of early learning, it's not uncommon that women have to leave their jobs because, you know, while we're working with children and we see the benefits of being in childcare and we love our jobs and, you know, it's beneficial what we do, but we ourselves cannot afford childcare. You know, we, we can't afford the service that we are expected to provide. We always joke as lawyers that like, we can't afford ourselves. Like God forbid I would need a divorce. (laughs) You know, and, and people think like lawyers make a lot of money, but there's a, there's a huge variance. Like you were saying at different types of law. And I think this is something you're going to touch on. So I'm just going to jump in right away with it is the more caring types of law, the elder law, the poverty law, immigration, refugee, even like parts of family law there. If you're dealing with the wife or the like abused spouse or the one that doesn't have the money or whatever, you're not getting paid what, you know, people think lawyers get paid. Right. And even if you're making a six figure salary, your salary could be more in the 90,000 end, right. Where you're just yeah. making six figures or more towards the million dollar end. Right. But there's a huge discrepancy there with yeah. what you're actually making as a lawyer. And I can tell you that if you're doing the more caring areas of the law that require care, compassion, listening to people, their personal problems, whatever, you're not making that kind of money. Sure. Um, and that's just kind of goes down to what I think, like I said, what you're going to touch on is that, is that we don't value care. In yes. our society, exactly they, you know, you can monetize it apparently because people will pay for prostitutes, right, and sex workers, and and stripping, and all that stuff. So to to feel a human connection, and they can pay a lot of money for that kind of stuff. But when it comes to our children or teachers, or you know, aside from the medical field, realistically, because that's government funded, yes, if you're paying out of pocket, you're not, you can't afford to pay a lot, and then that means that those people who are getting paid are not getting paid a lot either. And that's a problem Um, because, you know, you don't think about school being expensive or like at least the height, you know, elementary school, high school, because it's government funded. Right. But the daycare stuff and the like college stuff, that's out of pocket. Totally. And that's kind of the big problems, right. In our society is is the people who are not getting that at the front end and they're not getting at the back end. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and trade schools too. Right. They come, they're part of that. Right. Where you have to pay out of pocket. Totally. Um, And it's tough. Like, you know, it, it's very unfortunate, like you said, too, how we don't value that care because the benefits towards, you know, seeing more, you know, care and love in your society is substantial. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. And yet we don't 
value it. And not apart from that, from valuing it, but you expect that to be free labor again, mostly from women because you are deemed these caring people, which is true maybe for some, but not for all. Yeah. Yeah. And of course there's like, there's men who are just as caring, you know, dads or, or ECs or whatever, but you don't see them very much. Right. Or that's oh. not like as publicized as much or whatever. And, and, I, and unfortunately, like if more men were in the field, maybe, maybe all of you would be making more money. Right. Like yeah. that's kind of like, and I mean, like, this is like, just to kind of like point out the elephant in the room, this is all feminism. Like this is yes. all feminist theory. Anyone who has any background in feminist theory or cares about these subjects or whatever, picks up on this right away like you know when you mention this kind of like it's almost like taboo to talk about it like this but like that's it is what it is like call a spade a spade right like we don't value women we don't value their labor labor we don't value the professions they're in and that's why we don't pay them what they're supposed to be paid right but then as a as a result all of society suffers like you know because like I said, a lot of people are, you know, for better, or for worse, you know, you kind of say like anyone can become a parent. Of course, some people struggle, whatever. Right. But for the most part, like people like, you know, there is no test you have to pass. No, of course you not. just become a parent. Right. And then whether you're prepared or not to do that job, no one really like hammers you for it. Right. It's just like, well, do the best you can do, you know, and it's and, and it's not all parenting is equal and not all care is equal. Yeah. And we see that with what, where our societies are, are set up. Like even just looking now with the way um, the curriculum is in the schools now, for example, one of my best friends is a teacher and I'm an elementary school teacher. They spend so much time talking about their emotions and how much, how, what their heart feels and, you know, how we treat people. And they have the Roots of Empathy program, which my That's son beautiful. and I um, actually participated in, where a baby and a mom come into the class mm-hmm. every month and they track the baby's growth and stuff. But they, but they talk about, sorry? I said, I love the roots of empathy. And yes. I, and I, yeah. So I'm just giving a quick, yeah. And it's just such an, I did it when I was a kid and I still remember like just kind of what a profound effect it left on me. And so I was more than happy to do it, you know, to kind of pay it forward and do it now as a mom, which again, is a whole other, you know, like, uh, whoa, I'm the <laughs> mind trip. The room now. <laughs> right. But you know, you, and then they say things like, you know, how do you think baby feels when mom does this or whatever? And it's like, they're learning empathy. They're learning compassion. They're learning all these things. They're learning to name and label their emotions, which a lot of us didn't get that kind of curriculum. And then if you come home and you're coming from a culture, which doesn't do that either, which I don't think any culture really is good on emotions and just kind of labeling and whatever, if if anything, actually the North American culture is really pushing on that yes. and I commend them for yes. that that's the one thing that I'm like okay yes I will take that from this culture you know what I mean yeah. um they're doing a really good job of that um you never really actually get to learn how to navigate anger or navigate sadness or, or whatever in a healthy productive way and this is exactly the kind of work that ECs are doing with our very young children who mm-hmm. are in a prime in their lives to get to to sponge up as much knowledge as possible and so if you're not giving it to your kid and you're preventing them from going to daycare or you're not putting them in daycare and you know, you're putting them in the daycare that doesn't do that. Or it's just some, some lady taking care of your kid or whatever. Your kid is seriously missing out on like some of these lessons. Yes. And you know, I, I think, I think people just also don't know what their kid is missing out on. Cause they, again, they think play, play, whatever. Like my kid plays at home. What's the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a lack of knowledge I think is a lot of the problem. And I think kind of coming back to this, um, to the idea of feminism, you know, we're still not past this idea that it is a woman's job to raise children, which okay, fine. Like, and I'm, and I'm not here to shame anybody who wants to be a stay at home parent, you know? Oh, this is not at all what that's, you know what I mean? Like be it a stay at home mother, a stay at home father. And this again, goes back to feminism is that if that's your choice, if that's what's going to bring you joy, 
do it. You know what I mean? But, but even like, those kids go to school at some point, right? Yes. That's kind of what I'm trying to circle back to is even unless you're, again, you're homeschooling your kid, which yeah. I don't actually know anyone in, in BC who's homeschooling their kids. So like, that's I more of like an American like, thing, I guess. I was going to say, I think that's more American, but even then, like, you know, right? my, like, my mother-in-law was a stay-at-home mother for, oh my God. So like, was mine. Her entire life. Went to school. Like, yeah. I still went to, to like activities after school. My mom didn't teach me ballet. She didn't teach that's me like songwriting. She didn't. That's like my like, husband, you know, he went to preschool. She showed me the preschool that he went to. Like, yeah, there was yeah. still, there was still this known knowledge that, of, you know, of what it was, how this was, these activities were going to benefit their children. Yeah. You know, yeah. be they stay at, at a certain character. point, someone else takes over. And I think we need to discuss why it's important for someone else to take over earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I do know a lot of people who are saying things like, you know, um, it, it, like, it's always ironic when it's like, well, I'm not putting my kid in, in daycare or childcare of any kind. Like, wh- why would I do that? Whatever. But then they're aggressively trying to sign their kid up for like a Montessori preschool or a private, um, private school to start their kindergarten and their educational journey. And it's yeah. like, so you do care about education. You just don't care about it early enough. And yeah. why? Like, where is that? What it's, what's missing there? Is it again, is it a lack of knowledge? Is it a lack of education? Do you not understand why it's important. And it's also chicken and egg problem too, right? Because, because daycare and childcare is something you pay out of pocket and it can be really expensive. Some families just can't afford it. And so how do you drill home the importance of this thing that most people can't afford without shaming them and making them feel bad and make them feel like their kid is now going to fail in life because they haven't, you know, and they're not going to fail in life, but they would be set up for success in a different way than had they not gone to daycare. And that's just the fact. Like, I mean, it, it's hard to say those things because you know that a certain subsector of the population is going to feel like, wow, like that's offensive. Like that makes me feel bad. That makes me feel shame and guilt and whatever. But that's just the truth. Yeah. Like your kid being in early childhood education in quality care will make a difference. Yes. I see it, you know, on my own kid. And I have a degree in, in, in an aspect of this. And I still felt like I couldn't do as much for him as his daycare can, right? And so- that's just the reality. And I think that, so it's like, it's, it's the two at the same time. It's, it's telling people the importance, but also trying not to make them feel bad about it. And then trying to find, you know, ways to make it accessible for as many people as possible yeah. and, and the resources so that people can put their kids in, in care. And even the stay at home moms, like a lot of them would benefit from giving their kid to somebody for a few hours so they can just go do other things. Well, like stay at home mothers need breaks too. Like you're, you're a mom, but you're also a homemaker and a homemaking is a whole other job. Like I was between jobs for like two months and I was occupied all day, every day doing home stuff, you know, like grocery shopping, like, you know, laundry, this, that, whatever. And I didn't even have a kid at that time. So homemakers, its own job that people forget is superimposed or childcare is superimposed on that, right? Like it's two sub two jobs at the same time. And so even stay at home moms would benefit. I mean, I know in France, women can put their kids in creche without having to go back to work. That's- and a lot of them do right like for yeah. a period of time and then they go back to work when they're ready like I'm kind of in that position now where my kid is in in daycare but I'm not back to work yet mm-hmm. right and and I'm really benefiting from that because I can do things like this I can work on myself I can work on you know my my lawyering and getting back to work I can do stuff around the house right like um while knowing that he's being taken care of and it's beneficial to him yes 100 percent and I love that you touch based on that because, so you kind of mentioned that your son has been in care, but care for a month now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you are kind of seeing, seeing these benefits. Yeah. So, and so sorry. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, so like, I wanted to know, like, has this really improved any areas where there were lots of challenges, not only for yourself, but even for your husband, because you're saying your husband's working, you know, out of the home, um, you're the, you were the primary caregiver for a long time there. And, um, I mean, I, I can't speak from experience, but I'm 
going to assume that even for your husband, that was a you know bit of a challenge because he's got to come home and you got to be like, okay, I need you to kind of take over now. Right. <laughs> and it was pretty much like that. Like, yeah. I love my kid, but you know, like I get it. Like, it's just like, bye. Like I'm out now that my, my shift is over. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I would feel bad, but like, that's just, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Like to you're a small child. Like, you know, more so than when they're in school, because in school, you're not wiping their butt. You're not, you know, like doing all this stuff for them, physical care. That's, you know, they're heavy. you got to pick them up a million times a day, put them back down, like, you know, wrangle them. Like it's, oh my God, every diaper change is such a disaster, you know? Yeah. And you were a breastfeeding parent. That's also demanding. Yeah. I breastfed him for like 16 months. So like it was, it was intense. Like it was, it was a lot of work. Um, yeah. So, um, for, for my husband, the challenge was like, just like, like, I guess like the handoff, like, okay, now dad's the authority figure, you know, and, and he's got his things that he needs to get done and, and play with him and, and whatever. And, um, and also just like, you know, I also speak Serbian to our son. And so he had to pick up a lot of Serbian to be able to communicate with our son who was kind of learning all these commands and, and things in another language that wasn't English. Right. Right. Um, so there was that element for him. There was the element of like, you know, well, I don't know how you guys do things, you know, or like, his diaper challenge, uh, diaper changes are challenging in a different way because he's not, for example, singing the song or whatever, you know, he's not doing the same routine that you've set him up. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, so there was that element. Um, but I think the biggest for us was just like the socialization aspect. Like, yes, he sees my parents and stuff, but that's like, you know, a second mom and dad to him, you know, like it's, it's like people he knows since he was born, it's not the same as like strangers being authority figures and, and also just being with other peers that he can actually be close to. Cause like, our son was very, he's a very social, happy, outgoing baby, mm-hmm. but, um, he's and, he, and you obviously know what, you know, making strange, right. He started making strange at a, at a time when kind of everything went into shutdown. Right. And the problem with that was that when a baby starts to make strange, you're supposed to kind of go hard on interactions and people right. and being passed around more. And like, just kind of like to, sh- to kind of push him through that phase of like, eh, I don't want anybody touching you. I just want mom. Right. Yeah. Totally. But he was in a situation where there was nobody else. It was just me. Yeah. And so, um, that manifested in him still being social. He'll still smile a stranger, but he'll kind of melt into me. Like he'll just right. kind of like, like slide down my leg or whatever. And like, I wonder if he would not be like that had that not happened. Right. Yeah. But now that he started daycare, he's way more back to his old self of just like going up to people, you know? And, and he wouldn't have had that had I, had I just kept him at home and just had him with me. Right. Um, we have always encouraged him to clean up and whatever. And we kind of make a joke of it. of like, you know, we sing the cleanup song, but the song goes, doesn't go everybody everywhere. It's just mom and dad being slaves because Luca yeah. doesn't want to clean up. You know, like it was like this joke song of like, we're just the ones cleaning up. Right. Totally. Um, whereas two days he comes back from daycare, it's been like two, three days. And we start singing the cleanup song, not thinking much of it. And he starts actually putting his toys in the bin. Okay. First time ever. Right. And could, could he have started doing that be, just from being with us? Maybe, Yeah. but like, it's, it's more than a coincidence. I think that two, three days after starting daycare where they do the same thing, he now started cleaning up toys that he's never done that in our house for 16 months. Yeah. Right. Sure. So like things like that. And you know, there's like the language component, like he, he was more of like a, like a silent type. Like he just kind of gets up and gets what he wants. He's not really much to like ask you for things, but now he's talking way more. He's like babbling way more. He's trying to communicate way more. I think it's because like other kids are doing it and you know, he kind of wants to be involved and wants to be part of that. Like we're all social creatures. Right. Which it's kind of like, uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, oh kind of like the monkey see, monkey do idea, right? Oh, our, our species would not have survived. This is what we learn in psychology. It's like our species would not have survived. It would not be that species, like we wouldn't be who we are had we not um, valued socialization and being part of a group and doing what other people are doing. Like you would have not survived if you're doing something different than other people are doing, right? Like if everybody's yeah. running and you're staying, you're going to die. Yeah. Um, and so there's an element, like I, our daycare is amazing. They like have an app and they send us updates. Like every time he has a bowel movement, every time he like eats something, like we get all these updates and we also get pictures and videos. And I see him sitting on the table, eating with other children, like watching them, you know, it's amazing to see because for so long he was denied that. Yeah. And it's just something I can't do for him, you know, and it's, and it's just wonderful to be able to like provide that for him. And every parent should be able to have that for their child, regardless of income. Absolutely. It should be universal. Um, yeah. The benefits to the child is, you know, amazing. It's substantial. Um, and so I know that we were kind of talking about the benefits um, of childcare for your son. And so, but I also kind of want to come back to the idea of, um, you know, that you, of feminism and how women have really been taking the blunt of the pandemic. Um, yeah. In the sense that, you know, there's the highest rate of unemployment um, mm-hmm. is amongst women. And it's interesting how it kind of is like after the second world war where you were, you know, women were, you know, if, if it was not for women in the factories, you know, bombs could not have been made. Things could not have been done. And you totally. know, it's amazing how, when that happened in history, you know, childcare was at the forefront. There were these amazing centers that were made in factories because they saw the value of having childcare because women needed to work because there were no men around. Um, And so, but now we've kind of been placed back into the home due to the closure of, you know, many childcares at the height of the pandemic and schools. And, um, you know, a lot of people still being, um, afraid to send their children back to these public spaces, which is totally fair and completely understandable. But as a woman in a sector that is held to such high respect in society, because I can only assume that there is some pride that you can say when you're like, I'm a lawyer versus me going, I'm an ECE and people are going, oh, okay, so you babysit versus, oh, wow, oh. you go to court. Um, what does yeah. the lack of affordable quality childcare mean for you and the ability to advance your career? Well, it's, it's a direct, like, it's a direct causation, like action causation thing. Like, um, I was supposed to start work again in August. Um, mm-hmm. he was born in July. So that was my 12 months. Right. And I was supposed to go back in August and it was just, just, there was no space straight up. There was no spot because they had closed the daycare and, or they had like c- seriously like, um, diminished their numbers for safety reasons. Right. Cause you can only have so many adults and then the ratios get all, um, affected because of that. And there was just no spot. Yeah. And that was like our number one choice because of what they stand for and the kind of philosophies that, you know, and and I did my research on that aspect. Right. And so I wanted him to go to that daycare and, um, and then even our backups, like that was just a complete write-off. Yeah. And so I was in a position where I, like I said, I was sitting there going, do I quit my job now? Like, what do I do? Because physically I can't be in two places at once. Yeah. And unfortunately it's socially unacceptable to bring your child to work every day. So I couldn't bring him to work with me. Um, which also like, by the way, why don't we have daycares in every single like building, like in every single workplace, right? I, like, I mean, it just makes sense to me that if you're building a building for a purpose and you're going to have workers there, that you should also be building a daycare on one of the floors. And that should just be common sense. But 
what a you know whatever right like no, I mean, that's I, just I, a tangent again 100 i'm a big advocate for that and i have worked in places like they exist but they're very far few and like in, in my firm um there's like maybe well like 15 of us and like 13 of us are parents of young children you would think that a bunch of lawyers together could just like make this happen and we can't even like it's just so dumb like i don't understand right so anyway i'm in a position where i'm like okay so now what do i do like i can't go back to work so I had to like email my boss and say like, this is what I'm, what, where I'm at. Like, and you know, my parents can potentially step in whatever, but it's going to be this patchwork care situation where I'd have to be in like two times a week and then work on weekends. And this is my other two days. And then like, you know, like this whole, whatever. And they were amazing. They basically said like, I think the best thing for you to do is to just delay your return and extend your mat leave. Yes. It's going to be unpaid. And we'll talk about that in a sec, but you don't have to physically come into work until you have daycare for your son. Wow. And that was an amazing, amazing opportunity that they gave me because that I will forever be grateful for, because for otherwise I would have had to quit my job yeah. or I would have had to just leave him somewhere with somebody, which is yeah. not what I want. And it's not fair to him. It's not fair to me. Like, why should I have to just pull my child anywhere um, just to be able to go to work, um, yeah. knowing that that's a disservice to him? And again, I say this knowing that I have so much privilege to be able to even like be mad about something like that. Cause I know there's a lot of women and you see this in movies all the time, you know, like the, the, the mom drops off her kid with some random and then goes take care of other someone's random kid. And like, and it kind of goes in a circle, right? Like a lot of women just have to drop their kids wherever and yeah. hope for the best. And that shouldn't be the case. Like that's not fair. Um, and, and I think it's important for people like me who are in a place of privilege to, to talk about that and say like, we shouldn't have to be doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. And so she shouldn't have to do it either, yeah. you know? And and so I basically was kind of touch and go with my boss until, you know, a spot opened up for my son in January. And the only reason he started earlier is because of the whole holidays that kids got kind of pulled out mm-hmm. and, um, and we needed a transition period for him too. Right. So we kind of organized it so that he could start a little bit earlier so that that could be his transition period. So that in January, we're not both starting, you know, completely right. fresh and out the gate and having this massive transition yeah. when we're both trying to like, when I'm trying to get back to work and stay focused. Right. Yeah. Totally. And so that was, that was just like a fluke that I got to take this extra time. But now, um, the fact that it was unpaid, the fact that my career got sidelined and put on hold for seven months, the fact that I missed out on this year's opportunity for a bonus, like the Christmas bonus, the fact that I didn't get to be, you know, to didn't take a, get to take on files and actually use my skills. The fact that I had to let my, my skills rest for another seven months, you know, it's a lot in law when you step out even for a vacation for two weeks, your clients are all, you know, freaking out, whatever, because things happen so slowly in law, but they also happen so quickly. Settlements right. happen, court dates, this, that, like these are people's lives, especially in divorce. Like people want to separate. They don't want to wait two years for you to come back from your mat leave. Right. Absolutely. And so I was lucky that like, I was able to kind of put my clients to other people, but if I was a more senior lawyer, or if I had to come back, like I wouldn't have the opportunity to just say, I'm going to take another seven months or extend my leave. And so I, 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 I'm in a position where I had a bunch of privilege and it's a fluke and I'm very lucky, but it doesn't negate the fact that it came at a great personal, um, financial career based, like cost to me. It just is, you know, and I think about my male colleagues, for example, especially the one that I jokingly called out, like, would he have done the same thing? Like he didn't even take time off for, you know, to, for his newborn, right? Like in the newborn phase, let alone take 17 months away from his, career like and and the other thing is like maybe he also couldn't because men have a different kind of you know standing in law firms and and respond and they kind of they they treat men differently like the whole child care children thing is still a woman's issue and employees employers need to start seeing it as 
an employee issue. Like anyone you hire could potentially become a parent or have an elder parent or whatever, have some care responsibilities that exist outside of what they do for you as an employee. And you have to be open to that and flexible to that and to work with those employees. You can't assume that only women are going to be taking time off or they're going to need this, these um, extras and these benefits and whatever. It's like all parents will need it. And, you know, and again, it's a chicken and egg. The men need to step up more. They need to start taking their, their leaves. They need to start being the primary parent. In my household, our hus- my husband's going to be the primary parent. Like I told him, you're on call if something happens. I can't be dropping everything in court, running from downtown to New West to pick up our son. I just can't. You have to do it. And so when more husbands and more dads are the primary caregiver and are the, you know, the point of contact or whatever, more employers are going to have to kind of account for that when they're setting up their their hiring practices, their benefits packages, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it shouldn't be just women, you know, um, getting like, you know, getting screwed this way. It's not fair. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting how you were saying, um, you know, you're able to kind of use your privilege, oh God, privilege. <laughs> it's a hard word sometimes. <laughs> Seriously. And coffee's not kicking in this morning. (laughs) Um, So sorry, you were saying that as a woman, you know, who is, again, a lawyer, a wife, a mother, a homeowner, you know, you have all these different hats um, that all benefit you. And, you know, the ability to be able to use those hats, to use that privilege, to be able to say early childhood education needs to be taken seriously and not only taken seriously, but respected in society as a critical sector that is beneficial, again, not only to children, but to families in general. To all of us. Yeah. 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 Um, And I think that's fantastic. So again, like, do you feel that it is necessary for people like yourself to use that privilege to advocate alongside us, ECEs? 100%. All of us should, but especially people like me, you know, who are these professions that for better or worse have these labels or these reputations or whatever. I will say a lot of people don't like lawyers. Like, you know, sometimes I say I'm a lawyer and people are like, oh, like, oh, like worst person I want to talk to right now. You know what I'm saying? Like people don't really like us, but we do what we are respected because of the work we do. And, and again, yeah, like because of that, we should be saying, but I couldn't be able to do my job if someone else wasn't doing their job well and and in a way that made me feel comfortable to leave my child every day with this person and go do something else like the only way I can kind of compare it is if you had to leave your phone with a complete stranger for eight hours a day and and you know and then and then not see your phone like I mean that's kind of the only like people who don't have children don't understand what this means because they're just like ah whatever but a babysitter like think about your most prized possession like a phone for example where like you don't want someone just taking and downloading all kinds of things or sending all kinds of photos or whatever off of that phone you don't you would want to know what is this person going to do with your phone? Are they going to like, you know, take it and drop it somewhere or lose it? Are they responsible? Do they have other phones? What's, you know what I mean? Like, what are they going to, you would want to have all these questions answered and, and to learn to feel comfortable to just leave this thing that your life revolves around um, yeah. for eight hours or whatever, I many a day. So you can go do your job. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's kind of a dumb example, but it's the only one I can really think of in terms of like something that matters to people that, you know, why, why should we care so much about this? And yeah, I would not be able to focus or do my job if I'm constantly worrying that something's happening to him or that he's not being well taken care of. Whatever. And it's and it's not just care. It's it's what are they teaching my son? Yes. You know, because like, I, you know, we all kind of come into parenting saying like, I want to be this kind of parent or I want my child to be this kind of person or whatever. And if you have to leave your child with someone who's completely opposite of you or you don't like the way they are or whatever, 
Like you have to then accept the fact that your child is going to be molded by this person. Yes. And the two hours I spend with him in the evenings cannot undo the eight hours that he spends with X. Right. And if X and I aren't on the same page, that's a massive problem. That makes my life so much harder. And that means my son is going to become a stranger to me because he's being raised by someone who is a stranger who I don't you know, relate to or whatever. It's hard enough leaving your child with, with a stranger until they become kind of part of your family. But if that person is also someone you don't really trust or you know, they're not really the best option or it's not your first option or whatever, it, it, it's enough to make you say like, you know what, it's not worth time. To, I'm going to quit. Because if, if someone is going to, if I just need someone to take care of my kid, then I'll be that someone. Like I'm not any more qualified then. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever yeah. then, right? The point is, is I want my child to be in quality care and I want him to be with somebody who can do a better job than me, right? Like that's the point. Um, totally. and, and that's, and so again, it's, it's the knowledge, it's the education, it's that piece that's missing that people don't understand why it's so important. And so when parents say to me like, oh, like whatever, but like, but that preschool or that Montessori or whatever, like I'm trying to get her into private school. I, I always say like, so why aren't you caring like this much earlier, Yeah. like earlier on in your child's education? Because I think we need to, we should. Um, yeah. And again, it's, it's a stigma. It's lack of funds. It's lack of resources. It's a lack of like, you know, it's, it's not really a priority in our family. So I'm just going to pretend it's not important. Yes. You know, um, and that, and then I think that's where the government can come in and actually provide uh, those resources so that people can actually make a, a legitimate choice about whether they want their kid in, in care or not. Right. Cause I think a lot of the time the choice is more of like a, well, you know, whatever, like I'll just choose this because it makes sense. Not because it's actually what I want. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I think that this has been a fantastic um, conversation and I love all the subjects that you've touched base on, um, especially again, like as a new parent um, with the knowledge that you have um, with the psychology. And I think it really speaks to, I think this will also speak to a lot of parents and hopefully open a lot of eyes as to the importance of quality, affordable childcare, especially for new parents. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard a topic to address because like I said, there is, there's stigma, there's shame, there's guilt. There's, there's a lot of like, you know, parents don't want to feel like they're doing wrong by their kids or whatever. Um, but (laughs) yeah. And, and it's, and it's so, and then I I am delicate when I'm trying to like address these things, but I'm trying to be, I'm trying to show my passion for this and why it's important without unnecessarily offending somebody, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're not putting your child in care because you can't afford it, that's not your fault. No. Um, my, what I'm aiming this for, and I guess this, you know, my personal aim when I'm talking about these things to the audiences that I'm aiming this at is the people who can, but are choosing not to, because they don't think it matters or they think it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a massive deal. And, um, if you don't understand why seriously do yourself the service, do your, do it for your child, look into this, you know, follow this podcast, um, read up on this. There's lots of literature about this topic and just, just early childhood development, start with psychology. If that's more up your alley. Right. And then kind of move into the teaching sphere, lots of Facebook groups, lots, just so much, so much resources about on this topic. And, um, I really encourage people to then to look into that and to do that research if they don't think it's that big of a deal, because it is. It truly is. (laughs) Everybody, this is always what we say. You've got to educate yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say thank you again so much for being a guest speaker. It's amazing how I don't think we've actually physically seen each other in like 11 years yet. For some reason, we're always connected through social media. 
you know, thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor and a privilege, you know, to, to think that like, I have something to say about this and, and just seeing you do your thing is just so inspiring. Like, I mean, I don't really keep in contact with many people from high school. Um, you're one of the few people I do. And, and I just love supporting women. I love supporting friends and you're both. So, um, I'm so happy to do this and yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I'm in your corner and I really, really, uh, hope other people join us, um, in this fight. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You know, babe support babes, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a good one. <laughs> I wanted to say to the, um, listeners, thank you again so much for listening to this week's episode of EC. Honestly, if you do have any other questions or comments, uh, feel free to send us an email at EC honestly at gmail.com, or you can always DM us on Instagram at EC honestly. Bye everyone.